0: On today's episode, we're talking about architects, specifically how their buyer behavior has changed. How are they specifying and researching products differently and how you as a manufacturer can take advantage of these shifts. On today's episode, we bring on a guest who shares why it is so hard to sell an architect, plus strategies that you as a manufacturer can leverage to help become the trusted guide in that firm or with that architect. We're talking both residential, commercial, new construction and renovation. Plus, if you stay to the end of the episode, our guest shares their number one pet peeve, the thing that they see is the biggest mistake that manufacturers make in selling to architects. So make sure you stay to the end of the episode. It is a great show. All right, let's get into the episode.
1: Welcome to the Smarter Building
0: Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, this is Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my awesome co-host, Beth Popnikolov. And today we have a really great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about architecture, architects, 2021 and beyond, and what does the construction space look like in both residential and commercial? It's going to be a great show.
1: It's always a special treat when we get to have a guest that isn't just highly involved in the industry, but we are actual fans. We are huge Architizer fans. So we are really excited to welcome David Weber, CEO of Architizer, to our podcast. David, thanks for meeting with us. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am a huge fan of the work that you guys do as well, so it's a it's a really special treat uh, for me to be here. As you guys know, Architizer is one of the largest online communities of architects, and we're a place where architects can share their work with each other and with the world. So it ends up being this sort of hub of inspiration where architects come to sort of look at precedents when they're examining new projects and to share their work with others. So, you know... We spend a lot of time talking to the architects about the work they're they're doing and also with manufacturers because one of the ways that architects can best realize their design intent is by using amazing products. So this ecosystem sort of brings all of these things together. The best people in the industry, the best projects in the industry, and the best products in the industry. And that's what we're here to sort of celebrate and examine day after day to help architects do their work better and to build a better ecosystem for all of us to live in.
0: The reason why I'm really excited to have you on the show, David, is not only do you get to talk to architects quite a bit, and you all do a number of different activities with them, but I think your vantage point is very unique in the industry in that if you look at the process of specification or construction you all are, you know, really focus a lot on the bookends of it. It's the, the very beginning inspiration stages and the completion, meaning architects come to Architizer because they want inspiration for future projects. They want to see what's happening to influence future projects that they might have, as well as architects come back and they post projects they've done to show off, right? And so what we want to talk to you about today is understanding a little bit about what you're seeing in the industry when it comes to both residential and commercial. I think as well as understanding how has the architect's process for specification and what what are they doing like what are the different types of projects they're doing so there's a lot of things we want to dive into but the first thing we want to you know ask you is you know high level macro level 30,000 foot view if someone asked you hey what are you seeing that's happening that's different or unexpected how would you answer them
2: I'm not sure that Things are are that unexpected. I think that if you look at the, the changes that are evolving, I think a lot of them are almost common sense and make sense given the new constraints of the world that we live in. For sure, one of the big changes has been the way architects are doing their work. They're no longer in offices. So one of the big things that have changed over the last year is that there's a lot more digital collaboration. There's a lot more reliance on digital resources and digital tools because they're not in the office together. Architects no longer can pass a magazine around the office. They no longer have access to their in-house product library. So they're relying a lot more on websites, digital resources, manufacturers' websites in order to do their work and a lot more on digital collaboration tools to communicate with each other and to share work. No one can do a pinup the way they were before, you know, cover the wall with with all these photos, talk through it, mark things up with a red pen. All of that has to be done digitally. So I think that just as the world has moved forward in terms of digital medicine, this has been a huge step forward in digital collaboration, the adoption of BIM for the industry as a whole.
1: I was so that's such good information,
0: man. Yeah. Let's talk about residential and then let's talk about commercial residential. Like there's a ton of data out there that residential new construction is continuing to boom, you know, as well as R and R people are renovating their homes quite a bit. Let's talk about commercial here in a second, but what are you seeing when it comes to residential with architects? Are they doing anything differently? Are you seeing upticks in activity? Can you just share with our listeners some of the insights that you're seeing personally from your end?
2: Yeah, I think definitely most clients, Everyone at trapped at home wants a better home at this point, right? So it's either improving the home you have or finding something new with more space. So I think that without a doubt, both of those trends are going to continue in 2021. I think when there is new construction, the way in which architects are designing is changing because the ways people imagine their homes are changing. I think that looking back over the past five to 10 years, most floor plans are extremely open, right? Like everyone wants a big open kitchen that flows into a big open entertaining space. And now if you're trapped at home with three kids, what you want is a little bit of modularity, the ability to maybe close off some space to break the space up. So I think that we're going to see more flexibility in space. And a lot more of an emphasis on acoustic privacy within an apartment where I think that, or within a living space, when that used to be more about like between floors or between units.
0: It's funny because all of us here on the this show have kids and you're like, people want space and they want modularity. is like a, a nice way of saying like, parents are going crazy. <laughs> they just need some peace and quiet. Like some I, I some jo- people I joke- want that,
2: especially this person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious to see... Not only how does that play out into new construction, but how are people renovating in that way too? Did you
1: see that KB Homes officially released a home office package as part of their like home design packages that you can choose from?
2: I did not see that, but
0: that's a very that's pretty neat.
1: Isn't that I I find it like really inspiring and also really a little bit depressing that that says so significantly like if KB homes at the scale that they do is saying this is the level of demand we're seeing for this many years into the future that it's not like a flex space that was like a bonus room or a den or like maybe it's a library it's like no this is a home office
2: absolutely i think that already even before the pandemic more and more people are looking for ways to you know find passive income like can they work without Going into an office. But now, you know, literally people, their decision criteria when they're looking for homes is evolving. I have two kids and I'm no longer looking for a three bedroom. I'm looking for a four or the five bedroom because two of those bedrooms are going to be offices. Mm. So I think that what this will probably lead to is, you know, houses that are cut up into like smaller pieces, right? Like it won't be like true bedrooms, right? You won't have like a big 12 by 15 room, but you can like, some of those bedrooms will be essentially pre-designed to be office space.
0: Oh, I, I think I've seen data out there that supports that the average size of the home has increased, what, 10 to 20% somewhere in that range over the last few years. I think it's actually closer to like 14%, something like that. But we'll link to it in the show notes. I saw some data, but you're absolutely right. Like people want a little bit larger home, not because of excess, just because they they literally need it to contain. Like I remember it's fine. Like I remember when I started Venvio, like I, my wife and I lived in a two bedroom apartment, and like the second bedroom was my office, and like she would come home from work, and I was working in our second bedroom, and I'd be like, I have to get out of here, or I'm going to lose my mind, and like it, that's a much different kind of example than having kids and and a pandemic, but it's like it just illustrates the point that people need space to think about things differently. It's like you, your point, like I want another bedroom because that can be my office space, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think these are all the things that, that architects are are trying to be really thoughtful about. I mean, there's a reason we have a room called the kitchen and like, you know, like you need certain things there and certain activities happen there. You know, one of the things I desperately miss is actually the commute. Yes. You know, like that liminal space, that time to sort of transition to commute to the financial district for me, that's like 20 minutes. And it's nice to see the other you know, my peers, the community, like the other people in the city, imagining what they're doing and just sort of like transitioning slowly from home life to work life. And when you're in that same, you know, like all that permeability, when I was actually answering that last question, uh, my eight-year-old came in the room and then ran away, you know, like all these things are (laughs) happening, you know, in this one space, It's, it's hard to compartmentalize and prioritize and optimize. And, you know, really finding ways to, like, break with the design, with the space, with the acoustics, I think is really important. And it's definitely going to be a focus for both renovation and new construction.
1: You have this great way of talking about the way that architects approach design. She used the word thoughtful a lot, and I think that's a piece that often gets left out because we talk a lot about problem and solution. We talk a lot about practicality because there can be an overemphasis on values and features and benefits, but really it's like the thoughtfulness that architects bring into a space that makes you feel the difference between being in a space that was designed by an architect and being in a space that just was like, well, I mean, we've got this, like sinks, faucets, we're cool. Right? Like you can genuinely feel an enjoyment in a space that an architect has put thought into. What are those thoughts in the changing world? Like, how has the is the industry growing or changing from a commercial construction standpoint that would impact the way an architect would need to think about either a retrofit or new commercial space that a manufacturer would want to keep in mind when positioning. Their materials.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that architects, they're very thoughtful. They're very creative. And I think they, they have a really important role that they take very seriously as sort of arbiter for sort of healthfulness and care for the environment, both in the macro sense and the micro sense of the space. And so they have a lot of like weight and responsibility on their shoulders to create a healthful, positive, effective space that meets the needs of those users and the environment surrounding it. So I think that there's a lot manufacturers can do to help architects in that mindset and to give them the information they need to help create a successful space. I think when manufacturers position products, I think they really need to think about their products as part of a story. This is what we always work with any partners with when they're working with us to promote their products within the Architizer ecosystem, is to really think about the narrative of your products. How can your product help solve some sort of problem? It's definitely a solution, but uh, a solution within a broader context mm-hmm. as part of a, a bigger whole. And I think that context is something that you can never really lose sight of. and. The most effective products, I think, for architects are products that present themselves within the context of a larger entity within the project. And I think that's part of what is successful about the Architizer ecosystem and linking products back to projects is you never lose sight of that context. Some of the best content we've done, I think really we have this series called Design Details that really breaks down a space and talks about the overall space and the effectiveness of that space, but also the particular products and materials that allowed that space to be created. And I think there are some manufacturers out there that do a great, great job of this. I think about like Zaner, like in their website. Mm. I mean, they definitely have a huge head start because their product is a facade product a lot of the time. They do big projects with big architects that are easy to photograph. And it's also very easy to see their product within the context of the built space. But it's not impossible to do with smaller products. You know, I've heard real estate agents say, you know, the the single most valuable thing you can do to improve the value of a condo is, you know, better plumbing fixtures, right? Like people come in and like they judge the space by like turning the faucets on and off. So I think that that narrative of, you know, what does this product do within the larger context of the project is really essential.
0: What about industries, commercial construction industries? Are you seeing particular industries increase or decrease in terms of specification projects, that kind of thing? Are you seeing any kind of changes or shifts there? Cause I know there's a lot of talk about, and you just talked about a little bit, like what's going to happen in the commercial office space. You know, we've seen firsthand like healthcare is going to continue to boom. I'm very curious to get your take on what industries do you think are going to succeed and do well and where you think there may be some decrease.
2: Yeah, I think that the biggest increases will be in anything that has some sort of public component to it. So I think of like sports arenas need to be rethought, movie theaters, all sorts of transit infrastructure, and how do we move people healthfully through these spaces in an expedient way? How do we allow people to come back? I think that the, the future, even with a vaccine, is going to require some changes in those spaces. I think that, you know, places where we have overcapacity and is probably going to be more like refit, if anything, would be sort of like retail. Mm-hmm. You know, like So much is shifting to online. And again, like that in-person experience is still like really important, but I don't see people investing a lot in commercial retail.
1: That is fascinating and terrifying as somebody who likes to still shop brick and mortar. I want to take one, like a little left-hand turn and come back to Architizer's Bread and Butter, which is obviously extremely visually focused. You guys house millions and millions of product and project images, really project images is how I should say it, that feature products. is probably more accurate. We know from the conversations we have with manufacturers regularly what a struggle photography can be. And I think we would just be remiss if while we have your attention and your voice, if we didn't speak just a little bit about that before we let you go. So if I'm a manufacturer, I'm struggling to get imagery, I'm struggling to get photography, I, you know, I'm in projects, I'm being spec'd, like that's another conversation for another day. What strategies would you recommend or even images? Like if you can get these specific images, this is what architects look for, this is the conversation, even like how images are now being incorporated more heavily within the conversations they're having when specifying. What's like your hit list from an imagery strategy or shot list standpoint?
2: Yeah, well, I think that it's nice to see photos of product on a white background, right? I think that that's, that's obviously like the low-hanging fruit that is very easy for a manufacturer to get. But I think in terms of the triggering the imagination of an architect or a designer, the best thing you can do is get shots of products in the wild, right? You want to see products in context. So if there's any opportunity to, you know, see your chandelier in the lobby of the hotel and to like get a photo of like people moving through it and past it. Architects like love seeing context. Everything should come back to that context. The story you tell and the the story of the photo should really put a product in context because that's, what's going to trigger the architect to understand more fully how the product can be used and sort of like take, that piece and move it into another context more readily. Their architects are really good at like ascertaining scale from just like a picture, right? And and so like that helps so much that that photo of the product in context. So, I mean, I think that, you know, working with distributors to the extent you can to find out where things are is really worth the effort. We run competitions sometimes to try and help manufacturers Find these photos. So, like in a way, sort of like crowdsource them, which is one strategy. But I think anything that can be done to get photos of product in context is really extremely worthwhile.
1: Love it. That's great.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. So, David, if you're talking to a manufacturer and they're asking you, hey, how do I? Market and sell more effectively to architects moving forward. I know people would say, "Well, you don't really sell to an architect," and I'm like, "Well, just go sit down for a moment because you kind of you kind of have to, you know." Yeah, you actually do have to sell them because the specification is really critical. What advice would you give them heading into this next year? What would you tell them? Hey, this is what you need to be thinking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that it's really hard. I mean, I don't get me wrong; it is really hard, and I'm super empathetic.
0: Such a good response. It's such a good response. Tell tell me why because architects.
2: They're very pressed for time and the decisions they make are extremely high stakes. I don't know how to impress this more, but it's like they are judged by the decisions they make for a very brief period of time of designing for decades, right? Mm. Their client and other potential clients are going to be judging them for years and years and decades based on the performance of a building. So the stakes for specifying something could not be higher. In addition to the the potential of earning new work, there's a huge amount of liability at stake for them, right? Like, yes, if, true. If that material fails and the standards weren't appropriate, like, there's a huge exposure for the architects. So, I think that this is part of what makes architects like extremely risk averse, and why there's such a pervasive amount of you know sort of cut and pasting of specs within the industry. Um, and creates this situation where, you know, architects are only doing a few projects. The lead times are extremely long, so there's only a few moments where you can get in there and get the right information to the right person at the right time. Those windows are very scarce, right? Where you can shift a spec or provide the right information to shift a decision. So that's the world we all live in. And nothing is going to change that, I don't think, in the near term. So how do you time that right? You know, like, I think that's the big challenge. And watching manufacturers, I don't know, you can tell me if you, you think this is right or not. I would say, like, the number one strategy is, like, a very reactive one of, like, we're going to wait and see what gets specs and then try and prospect it. We're going to buy big data mm-hmm. and, like, get in there and fight for the spec on the back end, right? Like, before it's built, but after the specs are in, we're all going to fight. To me, that seems like a losing strategy for kind of everyone because you're like pushing down like the value by like fighting over price at the last minute. To me, the, the optimal place to be is early, right? Like you want to get in there, help consult on the design, get your product like firmly entrenched in a way that it can't be prospect. And that proactive moment is like extremely scarce. I would say that the, the best strategies for that are really doubling down on your own marketing and your own website as you guys say because in a way you just need to be extremely accessible at the moment the architect might have a question if you know they're trying to figure out something about your product and it's really hard you can imagine again how easy it is for them with the lack of time and the complexity in the universe for them to just push in a spec that they've used before. Oh, like,
0: I'll just try something else. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'll just try can't, something I, else. I can't waste yeah. my time or on this. Or I'll just use that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll just go give it, get it Get from somebody who has it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you said so many things there, David, which I think are really important. And this is something I tell people all the time is that an architect has so much more to lose in trying your product than you have in selling your product to them. The risk that they have is tremendous. And so your question's about like, why don't you just try it? Like that's their reputation that's their firm. Like that's their livelihood of trying a new product and speccing something that they never had before. To your point, they're incredibly risk adverse because it's sometimes people's livelihood mm-hmm. as well as their lives. You know,
2: it can't be understated like that asymmetry because I think, you know, like to the manufacturer, like it's a sale, but to the, to the architect, it's permanent. Like they're like feeling that building and like The construction of that building and how that building is going to be used by people for like for decades, right? And so it is a hugely high stakes moment, and that is why having all the information readily available to them and responsive reps that can sort of talk people through it, I think those are two of the most important things. I think alongside with some sort of like marketing presence to keep yourself top of mind and have those funnels in place to drive people to you when they're like oh, I have a question about, you know, recess lighting in a wet environment. Or I have a question, like when they have a question that's very specific, you want to be able to like suck them in and then get them the yep. answers that they want immediately. Like they don't have time, they can't wait a week. Like it's that when that moment comes, you really need to be there. So I think that, you know, great web- website, responsive reps, and like, and awareness, I think those three things together are probably the best. Um, You know, I think trade shows are interesting because it's a moment where a lot happens, and if an architect is there, there's an opportunity to, like, build awareness. But trade shows don't happen when architects have problems, right? And so I think Mm -hmm. that that's one asymmetry I see within the building product manufacturing ecosystem where probably too much budget is going in at that moment when it's not aligned with the architect's needs. The architect's needs could be happening anywhere. And and I think the same thing is sort of like cold calls, right? Like if they don't want to hear from you, they definitely don't want to hear from you. Yeah, you might get super lucky and like call at the exact moment. But I think that most of the time people are like burning bridges by cold calls. It's really about being like super accessible for those moments of need. And that's one of the reasons why at Architizer we spend a lot of time focusing on education and trying to build content to help architects when they're wrestling with those specific problems to like create that point of departure for them. I'm sure you're aware that although architects go through a lot of school and a huge educational process in order to become licensed, there are very few requirements on how to specify. Most architects can get licensed, you know, having only taken one course on specification. So the metaphor I always use is they're sort of like the GP of your health support team, right? Like if you need open heart surgery, right? Like you're not going to your GP, right? There's gonna need to be like some consultants and specialists involved. And architects are super open to that. I think that their goal is an amazingly successful building. And any help you can offer in making that building successful is great. And I think that providing consultative advice on the area of subject matter expertise that you have, like if you're a brick manufacturer, like being able to like answer any questions about brick, whether or not your product ends up winning or not, that's how you build that trusted role that you're the first phone call when those problems come up. And that's your opportunity to get specced. And the same thing for lighting. Like one of the things I always think about, it's like, like, yeah, maybe you don't make exit lights. Every building has exit lights. But like, if you can like answer all the lighting questions and some of that stuff gets specced by someone else, but you can be the person to take that call and are the trusted ally for all lighting questions, you're going to get your stuff specced. So I think it's really hard, but given the constraints of that complexity, I think that it's very clear what, manufacturers have to do, even though it is hard, is great website, great content, super responsive reps, and like a very consultative and educational attitude so that you can like build trust over time and be that first phone call.
1: Such good perspective that it's the long game. It's the long game. There are no quick wins when it comes to architects. I think we talked a lot about the lack of ROI on trade shows, but the practical explanation, like the practical example you just gave of, it's not just you don't follow up and you know they're meeting 75 vendors in a single day, so they're unlikely to remember you. It's also like they don't have a problem while they're there. like It's a good fact-finding mission for them to be like, oh, that's interesting. But in six months when that problem comes out, they're going to be like, yeah, what was that one person? And like they're not going to remember. I just have to say like, I can never skip an opportunity The importance of reps, it's so funny, like a misalignment, the importance of reps has like comes up time and time again. And the frustration that manufacturers have with their reps also comes up time and time again. And I think that just can't be, we can't, I can't miss an opportunity to underline that of the necessity of having a rep that can be a resource for an architect is often overlooked in place of, and I'll just like, even just like, of like, well, we've got a good email nurture campaign, or we have like a really strong web presence, or you can't depend on those things, because it's the immediacy. There are, there's definitely a place for digital marketing in order to reach out to architects, but digital marketing isn't magic. And it's not, it's not a human. And I think there's been a lot of shifts, there will be a lot of shifts, but that call and requirement for a subject matter expert that I can oddly enough, like even pick up the phone and call, even as a millennial, they want to talk to like an actual human is so, so important.
2: Yeah. I think that the other thing that reps can offer is like a lot of trust. Yeah, Like you can build that trust in this sort of like educational moment where it's like, okay, help me understand like You know, I think a lot of times architects may not even know the decision criteria that they need. Like, what are the most important, like when I'm specifying these windows here, like what are the things I need to keep in mind? So helping them understand the context of the decision, but then also being an advocate to work with them throughout the entire process. Because there's nothing worse than speccing something that ultimately can't get delivered on time and then gets like cut from the project because the contractor's like, oh, that's going to take, you know, 15 more weeks to get here from Europe. You know, like all these things are, are really important decision criteria. It's the performance of the product. Is if, does the price fit in the budget? And like, can we get it in the lead time we need to actually be incorporated into the project? And if something goes wrong, what other alternatives are there? Having an agent to solve problems yeah. for you as a partner in bringing this building to fruition is huge, right? Everything is becoming more collaborative. And that's what a rep can do for you is like not just help you get this back, but keep
0: this back. Oh, that's like it's like the money phrase. What you said there, Beth, was great. The, the thing I want to highlight here, David, is that manufacturers, and we run into this too, it's easy to get into the situation where like, well, how do we sell more architects? And architects don't want to be sold. What they want is help. They look, and we've seen this from our first-hand market research, is like architects trust manufacturers. They want them to be that helpful guide, that authority in their category. But it takes a mindset shift to get people to think, well, I need to help before I sell. like Helping is the new selling, is what we like to say. If you can help, you're positioning yourself, and you may not always win the initial project, but if they see you as a helpful guide, people want to work with people. They want to work with people they trust, and you're building that rapport. And so you might not win that project today, but you'll definitely win it for a lifetime. And that's that's a very hard thing to get your mind around, especially at your point about lead times. You know, Six to 18, 24 months sometimes are these, these projects take, and you might not win. And in a, in a society of immediacy, we have to be willing to say we might lose some at the onset, but we're going to win in a long game. You know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think being a trusted partner for the firm, I mean, the architects are used to working with contractors, right, or, or, or consultants. They're used to having partners in the design process and seeding control of aspects of the project when they believe that that partner that collaborator understands the larger goal, right? It's like, oh, we're trying to build this. The landscaping needs to get this across. Great. The landscape architect is going to take that and run with it. We're going to have a little bit of a back and forth, but like, oh, they came up with something great because that's their subject matter expertise. Same with a facade consultant. This is what we're trying to accomplish, right? Like, and they will see that control. They're very willing to do that, especially because like, it's not coming out of their budget, right? Like it's a very inexpensive way to build trust and basically an ongoing funnel. Because if you can solve all the facade problems for a firm, like every project they win, they're going to call you first. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, I don't know how I could be more helpful in, uh, <laughs> in, in your evangelism that helpful is the right attitude to, to go into selling with. But I wholeheartedly agree with that.
0: This has been awesome, David, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like everything you just said is like something we preach, but like you live it day in and day out. So like, this has been great for our listeners. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you if they want to reach out?
2: Yeah. Well, come check out archetizer.com uh, every manufacturer can have a free profile and we'd encourage you to like claim your profile and upload a bunch of photos. We can get your content into the inspiration stream of architects for free. And if you want more help connecting with the architects, there's a lot of ways we can assist with that, both from an educational perspective with content or with marketing. And if you have any specific ideas or want to chat, you can also reach me directly at David at That's great. And
0: we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes too. But David, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. And for our listeners, if you want more great content like this, go to vanvio.com slash podcast. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Pumphrey glove Thanks, everybody.